welcome to Connect Over Coffee. We're here to entertain and educate you about the liquid obsession that we call coffee and the people who roast it. We want to connect you with amazing stories of coffee roasters from all over the world and teach you how to make your very best cup of coffee. Let's join hosts Tim Hill and Michelle Berkey for today's interview, a shot of coffee wisdom, and finally, some caffeine and weirdness. Hey, welcome to this episode of Connect Over Coffee. And today I'm excited to have Blake Widmer of Def Can Coffee in Jamaica. He is the co-founder of Def Can Coffee. They are doing some fantastic things down in Jamaica, and I want you all to hear about it. Welcome, Blake. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, let's start off with giving a little bit of history of you, you know, where you're from, how you got to Jamaica, how long you've been there, and just a little bit of your history so they know what's going on with you. Sure. Born and raised in West Lafayette, Indiana proud boilermaker. I first came to Jamaica on a mission trip when I was 17, when I was in high school. Got a little bit of exposure to the people and the culture. I was uh, grew up in the church, great Christian family, knew what it meant to follow Christ. I saw the cost and I had counted it and was not interested yet in going <laughs> through that. So actually it wasn't until college, um, I came back on a second trip just because really I love the culture and the people so much. God got a grip of my heart that week while I was here when I was 19. And I became a Christian while I was here in Jamaica on my second mission trip. So my love for Jamaica started, you know, 16 years ago when I was in college and uh, kept coming back. As I came back, I got more involved with people, uh, built more relationships, improved with the language. And during college, then I had two opportunities to serve during the summer as an intern at the School for the Deaf. Um, down here in Jamaica, I, I helped to host the short-term mission teams that I originally was coming on. I was now hosting them and coordinating their travels and their activities. Uh, so that's my intro to Jamaica. I graduated from college, uh, worked at a consulting company in Indianapolis for a couple of years, and on a trip back just by myself to visit some friends at the deaf school in 2000, let's see, what was that, 2008. Uh, it was around Christmas 2008. I came down to visit for a week. And while I was here, I found out that there was a need at the school at Kingston because the ministry here, it's called Caribbean Christian Center for the Deaf. And they had four locations across the island. I had always been going to the one in the middle island called the Jamaica Deaf Village. Okay. And also the high school there is called Not Patrick. I'd, I'd been going there primarily. I didn't really know Kingston. But when I came on that trip, I found out that they needed somebody to help with their building projects. And I had a little bit of experience in construction. I had already experienced hosting teams. So I pursued that opportunity. And about six months later, I ended up moving here full time in May of 2009. Okay. Wow. So that's how I got here. And then I ended up meeting my wife who I'd met years before, but didn't know. Our paths crossed again in 2010. And she is a deaf Jamaican that had graduated from the school in Mandeville. And we got married then in 2011. So kind of Jamaica became home pretty quickly instead of just being a place that I was going to come, you know, and serve for a few years. Wow. Uh, which is kind of what I expected. I didn't have a time frame when I moved here in 09, but it quickly kind of just became home. So been that way ever since. That's awesome. So she is from Jamaica, you said. Did I hear that correctly? Yep. 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 My wife is a deaf Jamaican. I grew up as a student at the school, you know, went to college, came back, worked in the public sector for a few years as a social worker and as a, a guidance counselor. And she's now actually the executive director of the whole ministry. So she's kind of my boss now. Oh, wow. That could be fun and different if your wife is your boss at home at work. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 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 Good thing Death Can gives me my own little niche. I'm kind of separated. Coffee is my thing. She just likes to drink the lattes in the morning, but she runs a school and then I work with the coffee business. So so it, it works out. Well, tell me a little bit about the Christian Center for the Deaf there, but also more importantly, let's talk some coffee about how Deaf Can Coffee got involved there. When I moved here in 09, um, my role was primarily hosting 
the overseas teams that came, but they're not always there on the campus. It's primarily around like spring break, summer break, fall break. So there's, uh, as I got more acquainted with the students, developed relationships, my focus was really the reason why I felt called to be here in the first place was for mentorship of teen boys who don't have positive Christian role models. And even if they do have positive male role models in their life, most likely that male role model doesn't know sign language. So the communication barriers are always present. So that was my cool. desire is just to be kind of a big brother, you know, be uh, somebody that they could, you know, talk to, learn from. Uh, so Throughout the process of that, one of the things that we realized was they really struggled with self-identity. They often felt that because they were deaf, that they couldn't do things, that they couldn't be successful, that what other people could do, that they can't do that. Hmm. So there ended up being a lot of roadblocks, like especially as the kids would get ready to graduate and move on. We'd see a kid that had really developed good leadership skills in school, you know, was desiring to follow Christ and would graduate, go home, not be able to get a job, be isolated from community and just fall prey to the vicious cycles that exist in culture. And so we really wanted to see them grow and develop, use their God-given talents. And it's a long story. I'm not going to get all the details, but a friend in the States is a passionate coffee roaster and had challenged us to try to do some things entrepreneurial with the students to get them to have a little bit more responsibility and start to develop that sense of, of confidence. My wife, she's from the rural countryside, and there's a deaf man in their community that grew coffee. And he grew it on his own small little farm, and then he roasted it actually by hand. So he roasts over an open fire with a bowl and charcoal and a wood stick, serves it, and it's an awesome experience. Wow, old school for sure. Old school, yes. He uses a mortar and pestle Wow, um, to pulp the cherries. Uh, Then he uses the same mortar and pestle to take the haul off, um, to haul the coffee bean after it's in parchment form. And then he uses the same mortar and pestle after he's roasted it to grind it. So it's like, wow, you got this multi-purpose coffee tool. It's awesome. Nobody has one of those anymore. So yeah, Clark's Farm was an awesome experience for myself as I went there uh, as just as a family friend. But somewhere along the line, the idea came up that, hey, we should take the boys on a field trip and show them this deaf man that's got his own small business. And maybe it will inspire them, you know, to be a little more confident in them. Um, So God just really worked through a lot of different circumstances that would take too long to tell. But we ended up there one day with a group of 17 boys, and we already had the electric coffee roaster that our friend in the States had donated to us because he home roasts. But we had not told the students that we had the roaster yet. Gotcha. One thing we've learned as we've gone through material from the Chalmers Center regarding helping without hurting, one thing we've learned throughout the process is that you can't just give something to somebody and expect it to solve any problems. People have to want change and have to believe that change is possible. And so we really wanted our students to come to us and say, we want to roast coffee or we want to learn more about coffee before we gave them a coffee roaster. So we took the field trip hoping that Clark would inspire them. <laughs> and we went to Clark's coffee farm and God worked a miracle. And our students were really fired up about this 78-year-old man who roasts coffee by hand. And they came back and said, we want to be like Clark. We want to, we want to have coffee and we want to roast coffee. So we started letting them roast for fun. And it was just going to be this little thing at the school. And from there, the students started packaging the coffee and selling it to visitors that would come. And one day, students wanted to taste the coffee. And so we had a Mr. Coffee machine that was sitting around, and they started playing with Mr. Coffee machine. Uh, One day, an audiologist, he was there at the school, saw the students, and was interested and hadn't had a good cup of coffee while he'd been here in Jamaica yet. And so he wanted to buy a (laughs) cup of coffee. And the boys were like, no, we don't sell coffee uh, drinks. We will sell you a bag of coffee beans, though. But he's like, I really, you know, I'll buy a bag of coffee beans, but 
I'd really like to get a drink. They're like, well, we don't know if this is any good. He's like, it's okay. So he paid them three US dollars and they made their first customer's cup of coffee. And Brian told them, hey, this tastes great. And the boys like, really? And so it kind of inspired them to start brewing drinks. And so that spring, when we had spring break teams come down to the school, the students wanted to serve them coffee and start selling coffee drinks. And it's like, okay, you know, fine, go for it. So they started doing that. How old are the boys? How old are the boys at this point? Uh, at this point, most of them were uh, most of them were 15, 16, 17. Okay. So they started, you know, selling drinks to these teams. That kind of started a lot of excitement. And we had a group from the University of Northern Iowa that was coming on their spring break trip later. And they follow our blog that we used to do back then and saw this thing with coffee. And the team leader is like, hey, when we're coming here at the end of spring break, you know, is there anything we can bring? And I was like, well, this Mr. Coffee machine is not really cutting it. <laughs> and they're like, that's fine. You know, we can do some research and see if we can find something. And they did. They talked to a local coffee shop, got some advice on a really good starter espresso machine, which is a Ranchilio Silvia. Nice. And they brought that down their luggage. And uh, we agreed that our students would save up money from what they were selling their coffee drinks and pay for half of the espresso machine. And the team was going to cover the other half. And so that's what they did. All right. Get them invested. Yeah. 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 Because again, uh, going back to helping without hurting, a person that has a marred identity, you know, somebody that doesn't really believe that they can achieve, they'll always fall back on looking for others to help them. And what's most important is for people to realize that God has made each of us in his image. He's given each of us talents and gifts and he wants us to use them. And so when we do things for others that they can do for themselves, we disempower them and we don't really show them who they are in God's image. And so, I mean, we made a lot of mistakes throughout this process, but we definitely had some principles that we were learning from the Chalmers Center that helped us make better decisions. And so we said, you guys got to pay for half of it. And so they saved up money. Perfect. They actually didn't quite have enough. So they took a loan. They took a loan from the school snack shop that sells snacks to the students that they borrowed from them and then paid that back, you know, over the course of the next month. Wow. So that was a great learning lesson. Yeah, we renovated a little room on the campus, started brewing coffee. It went great during the spring break teams. Uh, the summer teams went great. And then that summer, we had closed down the coffee shop. Then in the fall, when school opened again, somebody locally in Jamaica heard what we were doing and came and did an interview with one of our lead guys. And that story kind of got out a little bit. People started hearing about it. God did about 100 other things that we don't have time to talk about. But <laughs> What ended up happening is a local organization, which is a big phone company, a big telecommunications company called Digicel. Okay. Uh, their foundation found out what we were doing. They came to the school and they said, you know, we'd like to help. You know, what can we do? And we said, well, we're just in this little renovated room, you know, with an old computer desk as our, as our coffee table, you know, but we have this empty building that is not finished. It's a blank slate. It would be perfect for a professional training center. We could build out a real cafe here and do professional training on a high level. And so I said, that sounds great. And they gave us um, a 30000 US dollar grant. Wow. And we tackled that project. That's substantial. Wow. Yeah. So this is at the end of 2016 or 2015. We got that grant and spent about four or five months building out this cafe and gave us a really professional area. The board member from the foundation, uh, she was so impressed by what she saw. About a, a year later, when she was opening up a new office building for her own business, she opened a cafe in the bottom floor and she contacted us and said, hey, would you guys be willing to be our coffee service in our cafe? Excellent. And we're like, hmm, we never thought about going off campus. You know, this is just kind of this project we do at school, but you know, sure, why not? And so our first two adult employees became full-time staff and started working at this partnership location. 
we still didn't really know what we were doing. We were learning a lot, <laughs> but it stretched us and challenged us. And then we started going to more mobile events around town. At one of those mobile events that we did, uh, the manager for Toyota Jamaica was there. He's an Irish man that mm. had moved to Jamaica, lives here, and you know works full time for Toyota now. And Toyota was building a new flagship dealership for their car sales. And because Toyota is a strong Japanese brand, and because Japanese people have a strong passion for Jamaican Blue Mountain coffee, Japan buys about 70% of the coffee Jamaica produces. Because of that, they want... Wow, I did not realize that. Yeah, so the Japanese marketing arm of Toyota really want to do something unique for Jamaican Blue Mountain Coffee. So they actually built into their dealership. Uh, you can go upstairs when like your car is getting serviced or if you're shopping, you know, you can go up there and it's open to the public too. Hmm. But they had opened this really nice coffee shop to be kind of this added bonus of brand Toyota in Jamaica. And so the manager there was so impressed by our service and our, we had nitro cold brew. We were the first people in Jamaica to do nitro and we serve it out of a jockey box um, at these markets. And he was so impressed by that and the guy's service that he tucked it away in his mind. And when they were opening their coffee shop, he contacted us and wanted us to work there. So that became our second partnership. And Toyota in Jamaica is a premier brand. It's a, it's a luxury brand in Jamaica. And so it gave us an instant platform to just, you know, top in market Jamaica. Absolutely. Uh, through that, we got a lot of other opportunities where people started coming to us and saying, you know, we have a cafe or we have a restaurant or we have a hotel and our staff don't know how to serve coffee. Our customers always complain, you know, can you help us? And so as our youth who were part of this venture, you know, at that time, two, three years before, as they were graduating, we started being able to find them jobs and start plugging them into jobs. And so that's really how things start with Defcan. It was, you know, very organic. There was no, you know, business plan at the beginning. There was no idea to have a business. It was just God kind of faithfully led us from one step to another. And we just kept challenging the young men as they went that their success is breeding more success. And as they prove their abilities to be able to do anything, that they prove it to others and then others are inspired and want to work with them too. And so they just started seeing that and the partnership started growing. So two years into that, by, by 2018, um, 2019, our staff were working in about 10, 12 different locations um, across Kingston. That's fantastic. And it's all, and it's a great legacy. And I know I looked on the, on the website and I saw Clark's picture on your van. And I mean, it's a great legacy for them to carry his, his, idea you know he started it all and you and you're very much honoring him that way yeah clark was an interesting interesting person if you ever met clark you would never forget him just really uh a blessed soul <laughs> i love those kind of people yeah he passed away two years ago oh i'm sorry so we miss him and yeah like you said we got him uh, on our vinyl wrap on our bus and also on our mobile trailer that we use for events you know we got a nice vinyl wrap and his picture is prominently on there and it is. It, he's the heartbeat of it. Our original staff that were part of that core nucleus, you know, still remember him vividly. And we have staff now that have since been hired as the business has grown that never met Clark. They never even knew him. But people understand that it came from this deaf man in the countryside that never had access to education. You know, he was never formally educated. He was illiterate. Wow. But he had language through sign language. He had affirmation of his identity as a deaf person. He was very proud. The deaf community where he came from and where my wife is from it has a very strong deaf community that's been there for a couple generations. And so he had that sense of community belonging. And then he had knowledge. He was a, an excellent farmer. He had learned from his parents and from his community how to be uh, both growing coffee. He grows vegetables. 
Uh, he raises pigs, goats, bananas. So he's a very knowledgeable person. And so we use Clark as kind of our, our prime example. Um, our metaphor or our analogy that we use is called LAC. And so it stands for language, affirmation, community, and knowledge. And we believe that that is the true lack that a deaf person experiences in their life. It's not about a lack of hearing at all. Being deaf is not a problem. God has made uh, deaf people beautifully in his image and he's given them talents. And language is a beautiful thing. And just like at Pentecost, right? The apostles had the Holy Spirit come on them and they preached every man his own language, right? So language is a beautiful thing. And if you have that, you can build on that foundation sure. and develop everything else. And once you have that, you don't lack anything anymore. And then you can go help somebody else who's experiencing an area of need in their own life. That's fantastic. I love how you took the word lack where a lot of people think they, they lack something or they lack self-worth, but turned it into absolute self-worth. Self, yeah. Self-esteem. I mean, that's what, that's what Jesus does. He flips everything upside down. Doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he does for sure. When Pam first told me about deaf can coffee, I thought it was, you know, a can, a can, yes, a container yep. of coffee. Yeah, yep. And I love how, tell me a little bit about how you use that with the exclamation point at the end. It's not deaf can, like a can of coffee. It's deaf can do anything. So explain a little bit about that. Great question. So this is an interesting side story, but Ben has a really good, Ben and Krista Bukema uh, from the church they went to in Knoxville. They have a good friend. Um, boy, it's been too long. I think his name is, is Mike. He's a graphic designer. And so one day when this was kind of starting out, uh, he had sat down and made us a logo for Clark's Coffee uh, because uh, a couple of years before Defcan started, we had already been purchasing Clark's Coffee from him and selling it and called it Top Hill Coffee Roasters. And Ben's friend in Tennessee had developed this logo for Clark's Coffee. And then when Defcan started, the students didn't want to call it Top Hill because Top Hill's like three hours away from Kingston, you know, so we asked them, what do you want people to know after they drink your coffee? And they said, we want people to know that we can do anything. And so we took Defcan and replaced Top Hill. Ah. And as we were working out the logo, it looked kind of funneled because Def was four letters and Can on the bottom was three letters. And we want it to be more symmetry. And so we put in the exclamation mark and wanted that to emphasize that deaf people can do anything. So like in sign language, when you say deaf can, uh, in our intonation of our voice, I say deaf can, and there's you know this upward inflection and emphasis. In sign language, you do that with forward movement of mm-hmm. your shoulders. Mm-hmm. You do that with like a head nod. You do that. So we want that exclamation mark to kind of be that emphasis okay. and kind of bring the logo into symmetry. But we also want the exclamation mark to look like almost like free-flowing latte art. So like we try to give it like this curve, like this pore shape, ah. um, not just, it's different than the font. It's actually a hand-drawn uh, thing. So that's, yeah, that's the story of the logo. So it's got ties to, to the same people that connected us for this coffee chat. So yeah, it's just, it's fascinating how things work, right? Wow. It's all interconnected. It really is for sure. And I love the, I love the design. I looked at the shirt, so I'm going to have to get one because yeah. it's just cool. Cool. And I will definitely put um, links in the show notes and on the blog to your shop for the swag, for the mug, for the shirts and everything. So people can see how cool the logo looks and then wear it around their own hometown. Yep. Yep. We got a web store, so you can check that out later. Perfect. Also, you're not just talking about, you know, you're making some coffee and you're doing a decent job. Your baristas have won first place in competitions, correct? For, for Jamaica Blue Festival? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So three years ago was the first annual coffee festival. 
They had their first ever national barista competition. And we got second place in that one. And then in 2019, we took home uh, first place. And then this past March, we got first and second place. Uh, so if anybody is in coffee in Jamaica now, they know about the deaf baristas. They know that they're the best. There's definitely still some good ones in Jamaica. Uh, the man who won it the first year didn't actually compete this year. So he's very good. And there are others that are good too. Um, but yeah, our guys are definitely known. As far as like a group of baristas as a team, by far we have a much greater strength than anybody else. Other you know companies might have one or two people, but we have you know a whole group of them that are very talented. That's awesome. I mean, that's like I said, deaf can do anything, and they're the best at it. I mean, that's they're not just doing it. Yeah, just yeah. halfway. The only way you change people's minds, people who are in the majority context of any culture, any society, that view a person who would be in an inferior group, whatever, like. Even though in their minds they might say, yeah, they view equality, you know, as a real thing, they don't really actually understand it until they experience it, see it, taste it, touch it. And so I think as our baristas developed that talent, became known as the best, the mindset of a deaf person can't do something just kind of naturally goes away. And so as they prove that out, yeah. people really buy into the message that deaf can do anything. Um, and that's really what we want. At the end of the day, we want to change the minds of our youth. So they don't believe they can't. We want them to believe that they can. And we want the rest of society to get that same message. Sure. And that'll permeate through their whole life and through everything they do. That they're just as good as anybody else, if not better. And they can do whatever they put their mind to, which we all need, <laughs> no matter what. Yep, yep. That's the goal. You're in the U.S. Embassy, too. That's got to be fun. Yeah, um, that was a cool thing. After we got our first grant from Digicel to build our cafe, through that, another uh, grant agency here in Jamaica, which is part of the JN family. JN stands for Jamaican National. It is a banking, insurance, software company conglomerate. I mean, they're, they kind of got their hands in a little bit of everything. It's a big group. But they have a big foundation uh, that does good stuff. And their foundation was working on a social enterprise program gotcha. to identify social enterprises in Jamaica and then provide them training to help them uh, develop sturdier business foundations uh, so that they become sustainable. Uh, they heard about what we were doing, invite us to be a part of that program. USAID was a key funder in that program. And so through this social enterprising program, we got affiliated with the folks at USAID. When it came time about two years, this is about 2017, as our business was growing, we were still roasting all of our coffee on a gene cafe, which roasts eight ounces of coffee at a time. That's great at home. <laughs> so, you know, when we were busy, we, yeah, we were running that thing like eight hours straight and we burned out the motor once and like had to get parts from the States and get a YouTube video on how to fix it, you know, and so oh, we needed a... a to upgrade, but that was an expensive investment, you know, something we didn't have the, the funding available to do that ourselves. So they gave us a grant, it's kind of like a matching grant. Again, we put up about 30% of the cost and then USAID covered the other 70%. And we got a roaster from Mill City Roasters in Minneapolis, Steve Green and his son, Nick Green, they do an awesome job up there with specialty coffee and getting affordable coffee roasters in the hands of people that are wanting to learn. Oh, cool. We partnered with them. They're awesome for us. They helped us get the roaster shipped down you know, to Jamaica and all of that. And we started roasting on a commercial roaster then in 2017. And so through that, we built a relationship with USAID. And so we started getting invited to go into the embassy for events that they would have. Like there was a Christmas event one year. We went in there and sold coffee and right. people at the embassy, they're like, man, this coffee's so good. Can you guys come back again sometime soon? So, you know, they started asking us back more regularly. 
and we'd go in there like, could you stay for two days? So yeah, we'd stay for two days. We just set up in the lobby and eventually enough people like protested with management <laughs> that the embassy said, you know, let's just give you a space inside of our canteen. So they gave us a space inside of their, their cafeteria from May of 2018. So two years now, we've been inside the U.S. Embassy Excellent. Uh, every day with two staff serving staff there. So coronavirus shut us down for a little bit, but we're, we're open again inside with just one staff member and hoping to have enough business soon to add a second person again. So how did you become the first person to do nitro coffee? That's become so, in the last year or so, when I first, year or two, maybe I found out about it and some people still don't know about it. It looks more like a, it's very thick with the head on it. It looks more like a Guinness beer than a- Yeah, we call it, we call it Guinness coffee. Is what we call it. <laughs> Jamaicans love Guinness, so it's easy for us to explain it that way. Oh, perfect! I like it too. It's it's smoother. It's but how did how did you become the first one to do that? It's it's you know so new and you know on cutting edge, and then here y'all are yeah. knocking it out right. Yeah. So so this goes back to the story I shared about that group from the University of Northern Iowa that brought down our first espresso machine. One of the students on that team was a barista at a local coffee shop in Cedar Falls, Iowa, called Sidecar Coffee, and they went home after that that one week trip and told the owner Andy. Uh, Fikeman about this death can thing. And they were so excited about what we were doing with this, you know, little espresso machine and having fun with it that he's like, oh no, like they can't learn from YouTube videos. I got to go down there and give them training. So uh, <laughs> about a month later, Andy uh, on his own dime flew him and, his, and one of his head baristas down here to Jamaica and gave us a hands-on training on how to, you know, pull a shot, how to adjust your grind, how to steam the milk, uh, pouring techniques. The science. Yes. One night we were sitting around just dreaming, you know, about what could be. This was before we, you know, thought we'd have a legit business. But, you know, Andy was saying, you know, maybe you could go, you know, Jamaica's so hot. Like maybe you should focus on cold coffee instead of you know, keep training the espresso and the lattes and stuff, but like get into cold coffee. He's like, right now we're going to farmer markets in Iowa with cold brew. And he says, we just use a jockey box. Um, it's super easy. We have an igloo with ice. You have a can of nitrogen, you know, and you have your keg. And you can serve cold brew anywhere. It's like, yeah, you know, you don't even have to have electricity. You know, so maybe in Jamaica, it'd be hard to go to an event and set up somewhere and find electricity. So like you can do it with a jockey box. So that's what inspired us. So we got a jockey box and started playing around with that. And that's how the Toyota manager first tasted our nitro cold brew. It was at an event. We were serving nitro out of a jockey box without any electricity. We eventually now moved up to kegerators. So we have mini kegerator fridges that we take with us. So we don't do the jockey box anymore. But yeah. It all started from Andy at Sidecar Coffee saying, you know, why don't you guys try this? Cool. So yeah, we're known really well for our cold brew. We're really the only ones in Jamaica that do cold brew on a scale. One of our newest partnership cafes, Ragamuffin Cafe, does cold brew there too. We actually roast the coffee for them and then give it to them and let them brew it. Andrew, the owner there, loves doing cold brew himself. So instead of us brewing it for him, we give him the beans and he brews it. Uh, but it's still the same, you know, flavor profile because it's still our our roast how we do it so we do we do a medium roast and try to draw the chocolate elements of nice uh, jamaican blue mountain coffee it really works well you get a really nice dark chocolate flavor on our cold brew well i'm gonna have to try it for sure i might have to just make a trip down there to i'm so ready to have some of your coffee now jamaica's not far tickets aren't bad you can get down here hang out with us for a weekend we'd love it all right cool Light roast. Dark roast. Pour over. French press. Ethiopian Yergashefi. Guatemalan El Socorro. Cold brew. Mocha pot. Fine grind. Coarse grind. Cappuccino. Espresso. If all of this makes coffee seem confusing to you, you're about to get educated.
We thought it would be appropriate since you just had that interview with Blake from Jamaica if in the education portion today we talked about Jamaican blue coffee. Makes perfect sense. It's like we planned it or something. I don't know. Amazing, right? (laughs) So tell me about Jamaica blue. Is it just a name like Russian red or something or is there some significance to the name? Well, actually there is. It's from the Blue Mountains in Jamaica, the mountain range. Uh which I didn't really know there was mountains in Jamaica. You know, you just think of the beach. I didn't know they'd grew coffee in Jamaica. Is the coffee plant native to, to there, to Jamaica? It is not. It is not native there, so it didn't just appear there <laughs> on its own in God's creation. It came to Jamaica in 1728. King Louis the Fifteenth brought it over. Uh, most of it died. So they tried to plant it on the beach. But a small... <laughs> Because I don't know if they didn't know what they were doing. They planted it in the wrong spot or I don't know, but most of it died. And then a small portion of it survived. And then they took it up to the mountains and it thrived up there. It won't grow on the beach. (laughs) It won't grow there in the sand. That's good because the tourists would trample it anyway. Jamaica is a pretty small country. There's just not that much land. How much of it do they make? How much of it do they grow? They produced 2,641,597 pounds. That was in 2015. (laughs) I was expecting, I was expecting like a lot or a little, like the exact figure. Hey, I do my research here. This is serious stuff. All right. So what was that number again? (laughs) 2,641,542. Wait, wait, what? Pounds? Pounds, pounds, okay. beans, no, pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so is that a lot? Is that a little like those numbers don't mean anything to me? That ranks 43rd in the world growing production poundage. So not very much. Actually, they said it's way less than 1%. They actually said it's just barely above 0%. <laughs> so even though 2 million 641,000 pounds sounds like a lot to us. That makes you think, well, how much does Brazil and Colombia and Guatemala and Ethiopia produce? There's massive amounts. So in the big scheme of things, Jamaica is not a major player in poundage, but there's other places that it is a major player. If there's really not that much, it's probably expensive. It is expensive for a couple of reasons, because it is is rare and there's not much of it grown and supply and demand. So as of 2015, it ranks sixth as the most expensive coffee in the world. Wow. We talked about the the number one last week or last episode. Right. But it's number six. So it's up there, not in poundage, but in expensiveness. Is it worth it? Or is this just some fancy expensive status thing? Well, there's a few factors on that. One, 80% of its production goes to Japan. So that makes the supply and demand even less because that 80% of it goes straight over to Japan. So that makes it, you know, like I said, more rare, more scarce. That really leaves 20%, actually less than that, for the rest of the world because there's even another use for it. It's used for a very good liqueur. There's a story of a young woman who came from Spain. She had to flee Spain with her family and she came with a servant and they came with a recipe for this liqueur that has rum, vanilla, sugar, and of course, coffee. It was named Tia Maria after the servant because she was such a great help in the fleeing of Spain and, you know, surviving in Jamaica. So they did name it after her, Tia Maria. So part of that production goes to the the liqueur as well. So it leaves even less for us wonderful coffee connoisseurs to try to track down. So how does it taste? 
Taste-wise, it's supposed to be very smooth, very balanced with absolutely no bitterness at all. And I think that's, I've got to taste it, but I think it comes because of the growing conditions that are that are down there. And I was thinking there was some kind of chocolate associated with this because, you know, I pay more attention to the chocolate than the coffee. It does have chocolate notes. Gotcha. It does have chocolate undertones is what they say, but it's supposed to be very sweet, floral with chocolate undertones. Gotcha. How hard is it to get? Could I walk into a coffee shop and order it? No, not really. Because of the rarity and the expense of it, a lot of coffee shops don't carry it because it costs more for a cup of coffee or it costs more per pound. So if they did you know, go to the expense and trouble of getting it in their shop, people may not buy it and then it would go to waste. If it you know, got old or stale, they would have to, to do something with it. Uh, and you wouldn't want to throw it away, of course. Of course not. They'd have to find something to do with it. Right. They could make a coffee liqueur. That's right. They could. I do know there's a few places like 8th and Roast in Nashville has it for sure, because I've seen it on the shelf there. And of course, they could order it from Blake. Absolutely. He has it. We can put links in the show notes so you can order from him directly and they'll ship it right to you. So it's 100% available that way. What should somebody expect for how expensive it is? I mean, we've said it's the sixth most expensive coffee in the world. How affordable or not affordable is that? What does that mean to somebody? For your specialty coffees, most of them per pound can be anywhere $15, $18 per pound, $20 sometimes depending, $40 per pound for Jamaica Blue. So it's almost twice as expensive. That's Blake's price? That, that's Blake's price, actually. From doing research, I found it more expensive on Amazon and at a couple other places as well, up to $52 a pound. But I would be very careful when I was on Amazon looking at the reviews. couple reasons. One, a lot of people said it was not true Jamaica blue coffee, or at least pure, because there are some blends, which I'll go into in a second. But on Amazon, there's two factors there. A lot of any coffee on Amazon, as far as freshness, you don't know how long ago it was roasted, how long it's been sitting around on the shelf before they pack it up and ship it to you. So I'd be a little bit you know, cautious there, but you can definitely order it from Blake on his website and it is going to be fresh. I know that I ordered some last night that they're roasting today and I will have it in 10 days. So I'm excited to try it out. Because even though I've done all this research and talking about it, I haven't tried it myself. So what I'm going to do is when I get it in 10 days, I will do a live taste test on the Facebook page. So everybody can you know, see how I brew it. I can brew it a couple different ways. Maybe I haven't figured out exactly what I'm going to do, but I will do it live and we can talk about it there as well. So that gives everybody something to look forward to. That's good. So they need to come over and join us on the Connect Over Coffee Facebook page in order to get access to that, right? That is true. We'll put a link in the show notes on that. The certified Jamaica Blue Coffee is grown on the mountainside at about 5,500 feet. There's other coffees that are grown a little bit lower at 1,500 to 3,000 feet. It is called Jamaica High Mountain. At 1,500 feet, it is called Jamaica Supreme Low Mountain. They are less expensive than the certified. So there are ways to get, you know, still from Jamaica, but it's not that the Blue Mountain, the certified one, because the government does go very hard on certifying it. They have certain boundaries. It has to be grown in these parameters, these boundary areas of the mountain, or 
cannot be certified. So another point to look for is the Jamaica Blue Mountain certification on any bag of coffee you buy that claims to be Jamaica Blue. So that's interesting. So they limit the amount of land available to grow the Jamaica Blue Mountain coffee, and then it has to be certified by a Jamaican government agency to say, yes, this is actually Jamaican Blue Mountain coffee. Yes, there's a certification board that they test and verify where it was grown, where it came from, and to to make sure that you're paying that high price and that it is yeah. it is what it is. And then there's two lesser in the elevation, other coffees. So there's two other kind of what what are they? Are the types of co- like are they the same coffee plant? It's still Arabica. Okay, so it's an Arabica. It's just where it's grown. It's the altitude because the the main things for any coffee is altitude, soil, you know, rain, moisture, and shade. So there's you know differentiations in the altitude as well. When I'm thinking of Jamaica Blue Mountain coffee, that's because that's where it's grown. If I'm looking at an Ethiopian Yergacheffi, it's not any different plant. It's just a difference in where it's grown. Correct. Because the soil could be different, the altitude could be different, the amount of shade, the sun, you know, there's all kinds of different variables, even though it's still, you know, Arabica or Robusta or whatever, whatever variety it is, it can taste differently where it's grown. So if someone's looking for it and they want to buy it, they need to make sure to look for the certification stamp or, or seal or something on the bag that says certified Jamaican Blue Mountain Coffee. Correct. Another cost of production is that it's hard to pick because it's at a 60 degree angle on the side of a mountain. So it's more difficult to pick and you pay more for that. <laughs> like what? It's at a 60 degree angle <laughs> on the side of a mountain because the mountains are so steep? Yes. Yep. That's what it said, that the, the production is more difficult. So they charge a premium since it's harder to get um, at a 60 degree angle. So you think about, you know, a plant's growing, it's growing straight, but you're at an angle, you know, towards the sun or whatever, and it's at an angle. So there's a lot of reaching and stretching and falling, I'm sure. There's people <laughs> constantly falling down the mountain trying to pick coffee. I don't think there's probably a lot of falling. Well, perhaps. <laughs> this might this might be our weirdness. <laughs> All right, let's move on to weirdness. <laughs> okay. Caffeine and weirdness, baby. Caffeine and weirdness. It's time for caffeine and weirdness. And today it's going to be caffeine coffee aromatherapy, which fits the bill for being weird along with coffee. So tell me what you know about general aromatherapy, non-coffee related. Well, I know it's smelling stuff, right? (laughs) It's a, it's really, it's a holistic healing treatment. It uses natural plants to promote health and well-being. Sometimes I know it's called essential oil therapy, but that's really all I know about. I know that it is smells used to heal in some fashion, right? True. And that's what I know about essential oils too, where you can put them in diffusers or... But nobody I know puts coffee in their diffuser. So are we specifically talking here about coffee aromatherapy? Yes. Yes, we are. And if you look, <laughs> there's, you can find it on, on stores at Bed Bath & Beyond and Amazon. They have coffee essential oils, which it says to put a couple drops in some water in your diffuser. You can put it on those sticks. Um, you know, that's the technical word for them. Those. <laughs> the technical term. <laughs> <laughs> the smelling sticks. Okay, so it... So, <laughs> 
<laughs> so it is a marketed thing in the aromatherapy world, or is that what we're talking about today? Or are we just talking about coffee that smells good? No, it's a marketable thing. It's I looked it up. Google told me. Google don't lie. <laughs> well, there you go. All right. So we're talking about essential oils today. Correct. And I know you like the smell of coffee. I do. But you don't like coffee. That's absolutely true. This may be the bridge, maybe the way to get you here. <laughs> it's the first step. But there has been some studies that prove that the coffee has some qualities that is beneficial to us. So just the smell of coffee has beneficial properties. Yes. The first thing, it will startle your senses, wake up your senses and perk you up. And I've, I've seen that happen when I uh, have you smell my coffee before I roast it or, or when you smell my beans. Yes, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Let's back up. <laughs> okay. Wait a minute. <laughs> yes. Okay. So let me let me ask it this way. What can the smell of coffee do? Because I know that we do use it like in the morning, you come over, you open up the beans that you're going to grind that day and you say, can you smell it? And I smell it and we can tell if I should be tested for COVID-19 or whether I've lost my sense of smell or not. But I'm assuming that there are other things that the smell of coffee can do besides tell me if I have the virus or wake me up. Yes, we've been using that as a substitute for the the <laughs> up the nostril swab your brain test that everybody talks about being so painful. This is much less painful for you. So, you know, it's pleasant, but it can awaken your senses and, and perk you up just from the smell. And I've, like I said, I've seen that happen, <laughs> but there's also scientific evidence to that. So when I hit that two o'clock in the afternoon slump, I should just open one of your bags of coffee on my desk. Yes, absolutely. It said that. I promise. That's a great idea. Coffee has a lot of ingredients and flavor notes, as well as aroma notes or smell notes or olfactory notes, because it, it's psychoactive smell is what they what they call it. Kind of like caffeine is a psychoactive drug that's legal. Uh, it also has the smell qualities because our olfactory nerves go straight to the brain. Because as you know, a lot of smells can trigger memories or they can trigger good times. They can trigger a gag reflex. So there's science going with the sense of smell. So there are psycho, what? Psycho olfactory? Yes. What, what was that term? Psychoactive. Psychoactive olfactory Triggers. Something. Triggers. Triggers. So that's what coffee has. Psychoactive. Olfactory triggers. Olfactory triggers. <laughs> Not only is it weird, it. it's a science lesson. <laughs> I need to open up a bag of coffee here on my desk right now. So what does that actually mean? That means that that, that the smell actually changes something in our brains? Yes. It can trigger memories. It can trigger happy times, sad times, gag reflex. You hit a certain smell and, you know, okay, we don't have to say that. We talked about cat poop enough. We don't have to talk about that. But they've done tests that prove this on rats. The rats have a stronger sense of smell than humans, but they found out that when they have a smell of coffee, it turns on or off over a dozen different genes in the rat's brain. And there's a lot of long words in Latin that look like hieroglyphics to me. So I won't go into those specific gene names, but some of the things that it does do is protects against oxidation. So it's an antioxidant. It does help with focus, just like the caffeine does when you drink it. So you can pay better attention. It has cell communication. So your cells can talk to one another better and, and be you know, healthier and do their job better. Uh, energy metabolism. 
which is a fancy way of saying your heartbeat goes up and you're, you know, hopefully lose weight if you're to burn, burn off calories. And then it'll help you handle stress better. So it can be a little more relaxing <laughs> than, you know, caffeine that may, if you drink too much, you get the jitters or whatever. I've never had that, but I have a higher level than most people. Um, but this is supposed to be I more. Mean, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So you're telling me if I open a bag of coffee or if I find some essential oil stuff and coffee, essential oil, and I put it on my desk and I smell it, that it will increase my metabolism. It will help my focus. It will make my cells healthier. Yep. Like all of that stuff just from smelling coffee. It's amazing. Like over like hours and hours of time, or is this like like something I can sniff once a day? Wow, well, I guess if you sniffed it all day, you'd stay just in a heightened state of awareness at all times. I'll lose like 50 pounds in a week. <laughs> Maybe this is a whole different business yeah. that we need to get into. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so you said that this has been figured out on rats. Is this all of these things that you're saying, is this true of humans, I'm assuming, since you're telling me this? Yes. It is true of humans as well. Okay. I'm intrigued more than I thought I would be. I thought this was going to be lame. See, hey, <laughs> I find the weirdness, you know. <laughs> well, I'm not sure how weird it is, but I guess it is pretty weird. If I, That was a pretty impressive list. I, I thought so too. I, I, it was a deeper rabbit hole with more impressive results than I thought when I first you know, saw the, the headline or whatever. All right. So that's my last question. It's like, how on earth did you find this? Google knows all it can take you anywhere you want to go through strange rabbit holes. <laughs> so basically what I learned from that is if you just inhale coffee, you'll live a better life. There you go. <laughs> so now people like you who do not like to drink coffee, but like the smell can get the benefits that all of us who drink it do. And maybe someday you'll like coffee, but you don't like it yet. Well, see, this is perfect for me because I don't have to drink it. All I have to do is smell it. See, I'm always looking out for you. It's perfect. I got your six. That's all we have brewed for you for this episode. Thanks to all y'all for listening and connecting over coffee with Michelle and I. We need a quick favor though. If you liked anything we said, laughed a little, learned a little, or just enjoyed the weirdness, we would really appreciate you going and giving us a rating, five stars are the best, and a review also. They really help. Thanks again. And remember, stay caffeinated. I am going to be full of bloopers today. Hello. <laughs> I just thought that I gave you dead air, you'd keep going. <laughs> well, I thought about it. It's time for the Jamaica Blue portion of the show. <laughs> Smignag bedigabop. I froze. <laughs> <laughs> it was the sixth most expensive. Yeah, it was the sixth most. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I've developed a lisp. <laughs> <laughs> okay. As of 2015, 2015th. Okay. Uh, cut. <laughs>